0: Hey, Queeros! Today's episode is sponsored by Gunpowder and Sky's new film, Hearts Beat Loud, directed by Brett Haley and starring Nick Offerman and Kiersey Clemens, along with Ted Danson, Sasha Lane, Blythe Danner, and Tony Collette. This is a movie about a father-daughter songwriting team slash band. Oh man, I saw this. Well, I'm very lucky. I got to be in Brett Haley, the director's last movie, um, which was called The Hero, and I got to host a QA and a with Sasha Lane and Nick Offerman in Los Angeles where they also screened the movie. So I got a chance to see this film. It has a rad queer love story in it. It has sweet moments between a father and a daughter where the dad has like expectations and dreams for his kid who is a girl. I mean, it's just... Um, Really sweet and really plays an underrepresented story as a normative story, which I, which is what I really appreciated about it. So you can check out Hearts Beat Loud right now in select theaters. But also, if, if it's not playing in your city, I hope you will check it out when it comes to On Demand. This is a show about individual experience and personal identity. There may be times when folks use identifying words or phrases that don't feel right to you. That's part of what we're exploring here. Please listen with an open heart. And as always, I welcome your polite, engaged feedback. And I encourage you to continue the conversation in your own life and with your own community. Welcome to Query. Hey, Queeros. Cameron here. First of all, I know this has been a very stressful couple of weeks if you live in the U.S. And I wanted to give you a spot of hope, which is that my new stand-up special, Rape Jokes, which you can stream for free on my website, CameronEsposito.com You can just watch it for free. Has raised over $35,000 for rain as of this recording. And I'm sure by the time this is airing, it'll be even more than that. So folks are watching the special, they're sharing it and talking about it, and they're donating. And if, if you haven't seen it yet, I would so appreciate you checking it out, and you can see it at Cameron dot com for free. You don't have to pay a cent, but you can donate, and all proceeds will go to Rape Crisis Intervention. Hey, how about the episode today? Today's episode is an interview with Grace Bonney. Grace Bonney has a great blog called Design Sponge, which is also a very good follow on Instagram. She has written books. Um, In the Company of Women, and then now a mini book called Good Company. I went to the LA launch for this new mini book series, and one of the most diverse groups of artists I've ever heard talk about their artistic process. So I really believe in what Grace stands for and what she's doing, and I hope that you enjoy this episode. Well, we had like a nice long time to chat pre the podcast because the podcast in front of us was running long. So I'm like, this isn't the first moment I've heard your voice today, (laughs) but would you like to uh, introduce yourself?
1: Sure. Hi, I'm Grace Bonney. Uh, I run the blog design sponge and I just put a magazine out called Good Company.
0: That's so cool. That's what we're part of what we were just talking about is, yeah, starting a magazine right now. Um, But can you tell me a little bit about what you were saying? Because you just had a really interesting thought about it. Like, so you have this book called In the Company of Women. I'm in that book. You are. That's when we first met each other. So, very, it's a great book about, well, you should say what it's about, maybe.
1: Sure. Um, It's, I mean, it's essentially a profile of about 107 women um, of all backgrounds, ages, identity factors, just celebrating all the different ways that, there are to be a creative business owner, whether you're somebody who, like yourself, run, runs your own practice, essentially, or you're someone who oversees like a hundred people. I just really wanted there to be more examples and stories of people who are starting businesses in non-traditional ways because those people don't get written about.
0: Oh man! I mean, I'm here for that. I am here for that. And um, thanks for including me in there. And then you, your new magazine. Tell me more about that and because I feel like it's in continuation of that project yes, a little bit.
1: It is. It was so my publisher artisan came to me and said, Great, this book did well. Let's do book number two. And I didn't want to wait two more years to just do a hundred people. And for me, one of my biggest kind of hesitations within the company of women is in the title, which was do I gender this book or not? And as I kind of get older and inch closer to forty, I'm finding myself less and less comfortable with gendering projects. But That one had a very specific purpose. So going forward, I wanted to make a publication that would kind of move us back into the realm of gender not being the primary focus, but instead kind of elevating and celebrating the voices of people who've been underrepresented and still within the creative community. So the magazine is all about painters, artists, comedians, fashion designers, musicians, just awesome people doing awesome things. And each issue has a theme. And so the first one's all about community. And what's it called? It's called Good Company. So we still got the company word in there. I love just, it. Just no women.
0: Yeah. Where could folks get it?
1: They can get it anywhere fine books are stole Ooh, or sold.
0: Where there's, so you can get it anywhere, anywhere. <laughs> fine books are stole.
1: If stole. you go somewhere
0: and you stole a book from there, that's where you can get this. Go back <laughs> to the last place where you stole <laughs> a book
1: <laughs> and then pay for this one. Yeah, yeah. And, all, and all the usual <laughs> internet suspects.
0: Yeah. This is very exciting because I, I think that um, – well, so like we met then uh, – mm-hmm. I like made you shoot me in the woods, basically, because I was like,
1: "This is where I hang out and do all my thinking." Oh, I feel like we dragged you in the middle of nowhere. I was like, <laughs> "Cameron is never going to talk to any of us ever again." Um, but it worked. But I, the, the photos turned out so well. It was, At least the I thought photo it turned was, out
0: great. Yeah. I really was like, I love to be in the woods. I love to think while I go on hikes in Griffith Park, um, and and then after that, so like from from that meeting, I have been. Really invested – you were so nice to me and I was – I just have been really invested in trying to figure out like sort of what everybody is up to that I intersect with in this – in my life and in my job, especially people who like – maybe I have like no particular reason to intersect Mm -hmm. with. Like, you know, you're not a part of the comedy world at all. So I've just been like really checking out everything that you've been doing because it's just been – so interesting and I like love what you're doing on the Thanks. internet. So talk to me about Design Sponge first sure.
1: of all. Sure. Well, first of all, I wish I hadn't named it Design Sponge. That's that's a good place to start. <laughs> I have to say the word sponge like times <laughs> why a day. Why did
0: you why was it named Design I was 22? Sponge?
1: 22. I don't know. I my mom used to call me a sponge cuz I I am like a researcher at heart. Like give me an obscure topic and I will spend days on the internet finding out everything and I love that. And so I was 22 and working at some other miserable job that I hated in the record industry and was like, I want to start something to talk about design and art and all the things I love. Um, So it was a blog spot. It was a free thing. I threw a name on it. What year is this? This was 2003. Yep. And I had just graduated from college um, and was working for a record label, and I was working with uh, Mike Gordon from Fish because I was a former hippie, former, emphasis on former, <laughs> um, and was just miserable. And I wanted to talk about something I liked, and I had been a fine art major, but I'd also had a radio show all through college, so I wanted to figure out which of those fields to move into. Turns out, it's not radio, not music. Um yeah, I started the blog just to talk about things that I liked and I was living in Brooklyn and like the design scene was like really having a moment then and you know, kids are like dragging found materials out of things and making couches out of them and it was just super cool. So I just walked around, took pictures and talked about it and thought like maybe one day that blog would be like an online resume to apply to a magazine and then all the magazines ended up closing over the decade that I was kind of running the blog and it became the magazine job that I always wanted. So I still don't know how I ended up here, but I'm really happy that I did.
0: So like the first couple of months or maybe even years that you're running Design Spun. well, like when did it become lucrative? When did it become something that you could do as a job?
1: It happened really fast. Um, I, th- I think for a number of factors. I, I think that When I started, there were, like, maybe three other blogs that talked about art and design. And the New York Times did a whole story on, like, what are these weird things happening on the Internet where people are talking about art and design? Let's interview three of them, and I was one of them. And so I went from having, like, a few thousand readers a day to having, like, I don't know, like 50,000 readers a day. And that kind of catapulted myself and a couple other blogs into this place that I think is very hard to get to anymore because there's just such a wealth of options out there. And so overnight, it was like people were writing me to say, can I put an ad on your site? And I was like, what well, that's a thing yeah. people do. And there was a huge right. anti-ad moment for a few years where, because I re- mostly write about independent design and handmade things. People were like, fuck money, like fuck capitalism, like how dare you make money off of something you enjoy? Mm. And that's still like a sentiment that exists in our community. And I try to kind of exist in the gray area in between like being an ethical business owner and then also being like. I have bills. Like, I have, to, I have to pay them.
0: Yeah, of course. Well, I mean, the other thing is – so we sort of – part of – we sort of now – it's like everything we, – we just – we rebuild the same systems again and again. So, like, you were um, on the internet doing blog stuff at a time when there – it was all, like, a city that had – not even been planned yet. Mm-hmm. And then now it would be, like, maybe the equivalent of what you were doing would be, like, the BuzzFeed sponsored, you know, design section or whatever. Like, we just essentially, yeah. like, rebuild the same systems yeah. where we're, like, everything's independent. And it's, like, oh, there's money here? Well, wait a minute. Like, let's build, like, a huge corporation and then put that under the corporation. Um and if you never get paid or if people like you never get paid, then you can never offer an opportunity uh, – an, an alternative to what is going to be huge. Like there, there's always going to be like – it's the same thing in podcasting. It's yeah. like it's good to be able to make – I make ad revenue on this show. Um, not a ton, um, but it keeps it as something I can prioritize.
1: And that's important. And I think depending on what sort of podcasting community you're a part of – I, it can be difficult because when I, I mean, coming from art and design, the art and design community for some reason is so like outwardly anti-money and everyone feels like it's somehow less like everyone loves the word authentic, which I just loathe. But our community loves to say authentic and that you lose on authenticity when you make money off of it. But it's such a privileged point of view to be like, no one should make money off of the things they love. Like, Yeah, you should make money. I hope you make a ton of money off of doing things you love because (laughs) that lets you pay and hire other great people to do things. And that's part of the joy of of the magazine was like finally having a budget to hire people that I love and respect. And I I don't always have that budget for the blog. So I want to hire and pay people who are awesome. I think that's such
0: a great point. I I think a lot about the the comics who early on in my stand up career were also very much just like, I'm all about the art man and I, and I can't have a day job because I need to go out and do five shows a week. And then it wouldn't even be like, like it didn't even occur to me. I wouldn't even think about it except for like a, a year or two later, be like, wait a minute, but like, where are they living? And then it would be like, Oh, with their parents or like who's paying for their rent, oh, their parents. Like it was, there was never. So the, you're right. The like, Totally pure person sometimes is um, may- maybe not as pure as they are presenting. <laughs> Somebody's paying those bills. We're just like
1: stop worrying about purity so much. Oh, I, that's such, Oh, god. Can you know, we just that's let's nice. just have lots of options to do things. And if you don't like the way one person does it, then don't buy or read or support that thing. Choose another thing. There's so many great podcasts. There's so many great blogs. Blah blah blah. There's so many options and. For everyone to get fixated on how a few people are doing something just drives me nuts because there's just way too many cool options to choose and we all know there's plenty of negativity on the internet so like, just choose something else.
0: I love, uh, yes, (laughs) you're right, you can support the things you like and that will be enough. You don't have to take down.
1: But you get a lot more attention when you say negative things on the internet. gosh, I guess. It drives me. I, I follow, I love RuPaul and I was watching like this kind of deep intellectual analyzation of the fan community the other day. And I just had this moment of like, maybe let's just stop paying attention to people who are just only spewing negativity and just celebrate the things that are good. And instead of tearing down a queen that you don't like, celebrate the one that you do. Like, why do we feel the need? It's so infectious online to just jump on and be like, yeah, I don't like this person for X, Y, Z. And it's become like so pernicious. And I just, I want to create things that feel positive and, and like alternatives so that you don't only have one choice that you have to hold to this high standard that's not fair.
0: Sure. I mean, I think that the part of it is that there's like two things going on, which is that sometimes that um, feeling can like create enough strength in a group so that something that really is unjust can be – can you can create movement on that. And then – that feeling is so profound of like, oh, my God, we organized and then something changed that I think it's hard to not also try to apply that to like just an individual that you think is annoying because their laugh is annoying. You know, like it's – it feels like we kind of do the same thing. If it's like this is a terrible person who we know does terrible things or this is like a woman whose voice is too high, you know, like on their podcast. It's like we apply the same uh, methodology and and maybe we don't need to. Maybe we can like – you know, like, work for justice, but, like, ne- not necessarily patrol somebody, like, saying the word like too much or anything like that, right?
1: there's there are so many real problems. Like, <laughs> vocal fry is not, is not one <laughs> of them. It's not one
0: of them? You don't think so? Right. That's a fair point. I agree. Vocal fry is not one of our biggest problems. So you have – so you're, like, in this – I want to go back to your work and talk a little bit about um, – so Design sponges taking off, but then also, like, social media – happens amidst this because social media doesn't really exist when you're starting the blog yeah and how did that affect your growth or the way that you were talking about things
1: it's interesting so it it kind of boosted it at first and now has just fully killed it um interesting which is you know it is the way it is. I used to just be like damn you Instagram like you're ruining everything but I love Instagram I use it all the time the algorithm is like killing my business feed but Oh, well, I still find great things there. I I think that because I try not to stay too attached to any one project, but rather just kind of a general direction or mission, it's let me kind of let go of, of how social media has kind of changed things. And I don't know if it's changed things fundamentally so much as it's sped up the pace at which things die. And I think, you know, I used to work in – I did work in print publishing for a while when I started Design Sponge and I watched all those magazines kind of crash and fold and go back to the internet. And now I'm watching print happen again and I've just accepted like these are cycles. And I think the, you know, kind of collective um, attention span that we have is so shortened because of things like social media that it just means that the boom and bust cycle that happens with any project is just – it's kind of on fast forward Um so I've just – I've kind of gotten used to that now and I'm like, OK, this might be great for like two years and that's, then that's, r- that's a really
0: <laughs> good way of thinking about it. I like – I applaud you for that because I think it is – well, it's that and it's also like – so like people, uh, the masses like ha- – uh, being trendy or whatever, like hooking onto trends, but then it's also uh, corporations like shifting money to different sec- sectors to just be like, is this a thing? We'll give this for money for two years. Okay, I guess not. So is this a thing? Well, okay, no, probably not. And then – so we're also – it's like it's, it's happening um, at both levels. Like it's happening like yeah. above – down onto your business and it's also happening below up
1: yeah. to your business. And sometimes you can ride those and sometimes you can't. And it's, fa- it's been fascinating to watch like large media corporations invest tons of money and people into like video. Video is the future of everything. And then they fire all those people a year later. And That's been kind of frustrating to watch, like, just how much money goes into those things. And I'm like, ooh, if you just slow down and maybe, like, spread that money out, you know, across a couple different ideas to see which does better, it puts less pressure on each individual platform and allows you to actually support those writers or artists or photographers or whoever you've brought on to not lose their jobs a year later. Yeah, I
0: mean, that would be ideal. I (laughs) totally— It would be it, nice, but that's not. Totally that doesn't angry. make for like a
1: catchy business plan. No, it doesn't. Like, that's doesn't. not what an investor wants to right. hear.
0: They're
1: no, like, yeah. how do you turn this into a product that we can make cheaply and sell to a billion people really fast? Well,
0: and, yeah, and it's also like the running to where the fire is. Like, everybody wants this right now. Here's my version. And then, you know, like making that your. And that's part of that is, um, like you said, just the internet like uh, speeding up our cycle so that we like know what the thing is that's cool like Mm -hmm. it doesn't have to even travel through water cooler conversation anymore yeah it literally you don't even have to put your phone down to know what people are talking about that particular day and so then the thing people are talking about that day folks are trying to make tomorrow which i'm sure is a huge obstacle for what you do
1: it is i've I've also kind of i mean i'm turning 37 this summer and i'm just hey we're the same age
0: we are? Yeah. I didn't know that.
1: Yeah, I'm Very also cool. 36. Um, when's your birthday?
0: October. When's your okay. birthday? June 9th. Wow, you are a much older person. <laughs> <laughs> Can't Significantly believe. Significantly older. Significantly and also older. And also a Gemini.
1: Oh Ooh, exactly. Twins. That is, that is, I don't know anything. That about is the word it. that is the sound that comes after anyone saying the word Gemini. Everyone what, goes, Ooh. What's the story?
0: What's what's the story?
1: Apparently we're all horrible Ugh. two-faced people. <laughs> oh, god. I, that's what everyone, especially in Los Angeles. What oh my bummer. god. If I, I'm at like any sort of oh, queer gathering in Los Angeles or someone who's like, <laughs> What's your sign? And I'm like uh, and I always just want to like try to change the conversation and then the second you say Gemini, they're like, Oh. And then you get that face, and I'm like, I can't help when I was born. There isn't like a positive interpretation of that because you know, like how
0: something like that's like you're two faced, but you also might have twice the ideas. (laughs) There's no like, there's no like other. I will take that one. Yes, please.
1: Yeah, Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't. I don't follow um, astrology. I'm a Libra. That That just
0: means I'm extremely balanced, and obviously that's true in my life. I work not at all, and I really am calm, (laughs) and I have a lot of friends that I spend time with in a chill way, and I really like to relax. That sounds really good. Mm-hmm. You don't want
1: to be two-faced, instead. No, I'm. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I um, I
0: feel like you use Instagram in a really strong way, and I also oh, don't really? know if everybody that listens would know what you're talking about when you say the like, algorithm is affecting your business. Ugh. Can you say what you mean by that?
1: So the algorithm is a formula that I mean it's it's always existed, but it's one that when Facebook bought. Instagram. They've now applied the Facebook algorithm to Instagram, um, which means they're just putting code in that tries to prioritize what people are shown. But they actively are working to make sure that businesses and especially publishers have to pay significantly to have their content seen by the people who already follow them. Already opted in. Yes. So all the the opt-ins. And in the beginning, everyone was like, tell your followers to to click the button that says, like, always see my updates or whatever. But now that's gone. So I've just let go. I mean, it was a real bummer for a few years, and then I was just like, okay, well, this is gone now, and just enjoy it for what it is. It's how I meet, like, awesome people, and sometimes we connect in person, and sometimes that's how I find, like, cool places to volunteer, get involved. But, like, it's not a business tool for me anymore. Mm -hmm. It's just – it's not effective. Um, Well, it's okay. You know, things change. Yeah, I
0: feel like folks that maybe don't have, a, like, a business a, a business reason to go on there m- might not even be aware that that's a thing that happened.
1: Oh, yeah. And I've had people who are friends of mine who are artists and stuff reach out to me and say, like, hey, are you okay? I haven't seen anything on your feed in, like, a month and a half. And I'm like, I've been here five times a day for a month and a half, but you don't see me anymore because of the algorithm. Yeah. And I don't I don't play any of the, like – hashtag games and then, like, ask people to do this so it tricks the algorithm into making your post seem relevant. Like, that's a lot of work that if I was maybe, like, 27 <laughs> I would be into. Um, sure. But it's just – I've that that's a young person's game. I don't play that game anymore. Um, it's just – it's for a different – I, I don't know I just I don't care enough and I probably should and this is why I don't have investors or like I've never sold my business because that part of the business life is just not interesting to me I'd rather just adjust my expectations and like live and work a little bit more modestly than I need to if to like be just totally beholden to like hashtag this 17 times use this phrase out reply this person tell people to leave comments with this many words which is also a thing you have to leave comments with like more than five or six words for the algorithm to make them like Whoa.
0: It's a whole
1: thing. they are like, you know, giant conferences on this that you can attend and yes. learn techniques. I'm just gonna stay at home and like plant tomatoes or something. <laughs> I mean, but
0: I think I I mean I guess I hadn't really thought about it that you haven't sold your business. I can't sell my I could sell my business, but my business is me, you know? Like, yeah. I, like I could that sell be my, for you. people have People have like built up a thing under their name. Yeah. But it's cool that you've not sold your business because it, what you're talking about is also like, I think something that a lot of folks who have businesses can relate to, which is just like you maybe it sounds like I'm hearing you say that you have this expectation that your business is going to continue to be something that pays for you to live and that that's your expectation. Yeah. Like that is really
1: good therapy language. Yeah. <laughs> it sounds like what I'm Well, what
0: I did was I went to, um, One semester of social work school. (laughs) So sometimes I know what to say. Yeah.
1: Yeah. No, it's great. Makes me feel very supported. Yeah. Um, Yeah. No, I, I, I mean, I wish I was like cool enough to be like, no, I've turned down so many offers to buy my business. I've turned down two. And that was pretty much it. Um, I think because I've never pushed it in a site to grow really quickly or in in a direction to grow quickly. I don't have any products associated with me. I can't scale my business because it's primarily me, um, which is fine. Like it's, I think at the end of the day, it's meant that the majority of the people, not all the people, but the majority of people that I've worked with at Design Sponge are still friends and we get along and I feel good about those relationships. And like when people leave, I genuinely wish them well on their next chapter. And at the end of the day, that's a much better feeling than like, sweet, I made a little bit of money and now I'm watching my business get like run into the ground with, you know, clickbait and top 10 lists and stuff like that. It feels like an art project, if that makes any sense. Like, I feel like Design Sponge is, like, my my senior thesis from college. Um, yeah.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. I also just think that the stuff that you're talking about is something we don't really hear people say about things that they have been successful at. We don't really hear people say, um, like, I'm actually kind of cool with where – I am like I've I was frustrated about that. But then I like realized that and I'm and I'm starting a magazine. (laughs) I mean, like print print media. How do you feel about going back into how do you feel about that? Does that something that you're just like, I think this is going to be
1: successful? Is it something where you don't know? I have no idea. Um, You know, it's a it's a slim chance that it will be profitable, which is why I chose to do it with our publisher, which is I don't think a model that's happened yet, Um, at least in my community. For the most part, everyone does things independently or they use, you know, Kickstarter, GoFundMe or whatever. Um, But I I like being able to create without a ton of pressure to deliver and um, financially like right away and so that's what happens when you crowdfund things is people then want gifts and updates and stuff and yeah. so working with Artisan they've been so great about being like we recognize this isn't going to make money right away and the books I've done with them have I've lucked out they've been super successful and so I I feel very thankful that they're like we're going to take this ginormous, very expensive risk with you, and we're mostly going to trust you the entire way to kind of do this on your own. And I'm working on the second issue and, like, shooting the cover tomorrow in Chicago. And um, it's exciting, but it's exhausting, and I understand why magazines cost so much money now. They just – and we're doing it on, like, a like a decent budget, um, especially for an independent magazine. But, you know, the number of issues we'll have to sell to be profitable is – It's going to be a challenge. So it's – and this is a thing nobody talks about, like, especially if you've been doing your business for 10-plus years. No one wants to talk about, like, things that could not work out. And I've literally had a person who works – who's, like, my agent basically say to me, like, you can't afford a failure right now. And it's, it's been in my head for, like, months now because when she said that, I was like – at first I was like, fuck you. Don't tell me that. Like, I can do whatever I want. And I like, the, like, angry teenager in me kind of was like, well, I'm going to prove you wrong. And then part of me was like, I understand the business. She's kind of right. Like, if I mess up at this point, will people think that me and this brand is just over? Um, but then at the end of the day, it was kind of like, well, either way, I can't really control it. Like, people might be into it. People might, might not be into it. Like – there's some really great stuff that's been produced in every artistic niche that people weren't super into when it came out or that didn't do well right away and then ended up becoming like really beloved, trusted things. And that's kind of where my heart is, is trying to produce things like that. So, you know, if, if that's what we end up being, is like if I could be the, the cult movie of my, <laughs> my little community that people enjoy like five years later, I'm still fine with that.
0: Hey Queeros, since it is Pride Month, Earwolf is shouting out all the queer shows that we have on this network. And today, my assignment is to talk about Put Your Hands Together, a great podcast co-hosted by Cameron Esposito, whoo, she's hilarious, and Rhea Butcher. They are perhaps even funnier. The Wife and Wife duo host a show live every Tuesday night in Los Angeles at the UCB Theater that is stand-up for the two of them and then also a bunch of guests Folks like Sarah Silverman and Paul F. Tompkins and Nicole Byer and then some of Cameron Rhea's faves like Dave Perdue or, oh God, I'm now blanking on a zillion names. Anyway, I love this show because it is one of my shows, <laughs> but it is also the only stand-up podcast um, maybe that exists that you, where you can feel like you're part of a live show and you can check it out on Stitcher Earwolf, you can check it out on Apple Podcasts wherever you get your pods. Well, you're talking to me also outside about like the that you're paying folks that are contributing. And can you talk a little bit about that like the folks that you tried to hire for this project and and what you have found working with those folks?
1: Yeah, so it's fascinating. Most people who write for independent magazines are not paid or are paid very little or are paid in swag or maybe a trip, like to go write the story, Um, which is, you know, people can choose to do whatever they want to do. But I find that so often the people who are expected to do that are people from underrepresented communities or queer people, people of color. And I just... It, there's just a whole layer of unfair there um, that just kind of drives me nuts. And I don't have the budget to really make large hiring purchases at the blog, but with this I did. And so my goal was to make sure that my voice wasn't the one that was dominant in this issue at all. Um, I don't even think I'm writing any stories for the second issue. And everyone I've hired, um, I would say like 95% of the people on the team for the second issue are people from like marginalized groups, Um Poor people, POC, people living with disabilities and chronic illness, we're talking about mental health, like all this stuff that kind of gets commodified and commercialized in bigger magazines and like I wanted them to be like really open discussions and I wanted them to be told in their own voices. Like so often magazines will cover members of certain communities but they'll have like a straight white lady tell that story and I, I don't want that to happen. I want people to tell things in their own voice and feel comfortable and then also feel financially supported to do so. And I think so – I mean this is especially with like women of color and the artistic community is like you're pulled over to do an interview or to give a poll quote or something. And, you know, they get something out of that. But what, what are you getting out of that? And so – I mean, I'm glad that we can give exposure, so to speak, to some people, but it's more important that I actually just financially support those people. So I finally got to hire an awesome team of people, from illustrators to photographers to writers, and that, if nothing else, has been, like, the most wonderful takeaway from this project. And what types of things are those folks writing about? Oh, all sorts of stuff. We're doing group interviews. My favorite thing is that I wanted this to be, like, a grown-up zine, basically. Love it. Um, like, Riot Girl turned 37. And... I So I hired people to make miniature zines inside the issue because my publisher was like, I <laughs> awesome. can't read zines. They're not very legible, um, which was like a whole argument. But at the end of the day, I understood why the whole thing couldn't be one giant handmade collage. And so for this first issue, like Mimi Pond, who's like this legendary cartoonist, is one of the first um, writers and creative people in The Simpsons. He was just such a legend in cartooning. Um, There's an activist and artist named Grace Chin from Kansas City. And then um, Miriam Kleinstahl who lives in the Bay Area, and she wrote um, Rad American Women with um, Kate Schatz. And those three women made just like standalone cartoons, essentially, for the issue. And those just like knock my socks off because I didn't give them any direction. I was like, here's some money. Here's what I'd love you to consider as you write this. And they each came out completely differently. And getting to do projects like that makes me so happy because it's that up against, like, a personal essay or then, like, you know, just a Q&A with somebody awesome. And I just wanted to tell as many stories possible in the ways that feel comfortable for those people. Because some people feel more comfortable drawing their story or having somebody else, like, do a Q&A. Like, whatever format feels comfortable for somebody. I don't want to force people's stories anymore. And I used to do that a lot.
0: So the design, the design element that you started your business with—is that I mean—is that showing up in Good Company like literally just in the way that it's made and your creativity there, or is that also are you also like featuring folks from the design community? It's a
1: little bit of both. Um, So I used. Did you like how
0: long my the end of that question was? (laughs) Community. (laughs) I just wanted to see how long. Can I hold it? Yeah. No, go ahead. I
1: like it. Um, It's a little bit of both. I think that you know, for most people who have ever heard of Design Sponge, they only associate me or that particular project with like interior design and art and stuff like that. But for the past decade, I've been writing about people who have nothing to do with any of those fields. It's just, I don't think people have kind of noticed that yet, Um, (laughs) which is okay. And people who are like, oh, wait, you're not writing about an interior designer. And I'm like, no, this is somebody who's like an activist at Planned Parenthood. But to me, there's still a connection between what they're doing and what we're doing. And for me, I think about Maybe six or seven years into Design Sponge, like, you know, I crossed into my 30s, just I went through a divorce, I came out, like, all these big life things happened. And it made me very aware of how the creative community connects to like bigger life and social issues. And separating those two things and keeping it very in church and state just did not feel right. And that pissed off the vast majority of my audience. And they were like, stay in your lane. I don't want to hear you talk about race. I don't want to hear you talk about finance. I don't want to hear any of this, like, shut up and talk about pillows. And I lost that. They they all left. Like, they went to other sites, and I've slowly kind of forced people to, to at least, like, tolerate posts that try to make a connection between, like, the real estate industry and race or, you know, like, classism and how we talk about tiny houses. Like, all of these issues that are common in the design world, I'm trying to constantly ground them in – the other issues that are connected to them. And I think the design community very often wants to like hands over their ears and just be like, la, 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 these things don't have anything to do with bigger issues. They're just purely about design, but they never are. So we're really trying to build a platform where we constantly connect these things. Um, Even just like with gentrification, like, you know, the amount of houses that we write about on a regular basis that are mostly white people, like in Brooklyn, buying a townhouse, renovating it, We're asking them, who lived there before? Like, did they leave because they wanted to or were they forced out? And do you know anything about the culture of the neighborhood? Like, how do you plan to connect with and support those people? Those are uncomfortable questions that we're asking people now. Um, But I'm glad we're having those conversations because they're really important. And there's a small percentage of our audience that I think is kind of getting it and nodding and being like, oh, yeah, like where I shop and, you know, where I choose to live, those things have effects on the people around me. I think I
0: might have one of the only jobs that nobody gave me this, like, pushback that I see for so many folks that I know about, like, stop being political. Like, (laughs) that being said, though, I mean, there are still times where um, I think folks would want to hire somebody, like, to represent a major network or something that maybe shuts their mouth up a little bit more than I do. So I can kind of understand what you're saying. I can understand the riskiness that you're talking about. Um, where you're talking about like losing a giant chunk of your audience because you're sticking to your guns and I really like good job, you know? Congrats. I don't know if you hear that a lot. You should hear that. That I think that's a good job that you did there.
1: I don't I mean it's hard. I I, I think like there's a little part of me that's like, I'm glad I'm sticking to things that feel right. And then there's another part of me that like, that means I can't give anybody raises because I hear it. we've lost advertisers who are like, Yeah, I'm staying away from your Black Lives Matter post as much as I can. And I respect their decision. I respect other people's decisions. But at the end of the day, it's like I have this awesome team and I'm like, fuck, I can't pay you what you deserve to because I'm not playing the game the way I maybe could. Um, But I don't I don't feel good at the end of the day. And none of us at Design Sponge are being paid enough to make decisions that make us feel bad at the end of the day. So, you know, right now we just have a team that kind of understands that compromise and, you know, it works for as long as it works. And then what's next?
0: Yeah, and you also chose to kind of come out as like using your – like through your business. Like you were coming out also through your business. I remember seeing some posts where you were talking about like how uh, you were personally impacted and that that might – that was like through your – like your business Instagram, you know, being yeah. like, "This is what my life is," and I kind of need you to know this, yeah, so that you know what, um, like, who who I am, because some of the uh, subjects that you're talking about are things that, like, it would be harder to be the face of like it like it's hard to be like there's not one person that's the face of like gentrification like there could be many people that are but um you definitely offered yourself up as like I am a face of what it is to be queer and what like how what was that experience like
1: it's it's it wasn't that long ago but it feels very long ago now um it was really scary I I came out like privately, I guess, to friends and family a year and a half before I did publicly, um, primarily because that decision was a part of a divorce that was really difficult, and I basically lost half my friends in that, and it was really uncomfortable and a lot of very emergency level therapy for me. Um, I just like wasn't very stable for a while, and so it took me a while to get to a place where I was like, okay, no matter what anybody says, I feel comfortable saying this now. Um, and it happened because for my I think it was my thirty-first birthday. Um, my friends took me to it. this like the Broadway dance studio in Manhattan. Is kind of known for like fun pop dance classes. I am not a dancer, <laughs> um, but I love dancing, and I like fucking love Robin. And my friends were like, "Surprise for your birthday!" We're all together going to learn how to do the like call your girlfriend dance, and <laughs> oh, it was this. I I felt so understood, <laughs> which sounds so cheesy, but I was like, "Oh, they get me! Like they get me and they see me and." I had so much fun, and we took this picture of all of us, like, in the dance studio, like, sweaty and just having this, like, great time. And I was like, this this is it. Like, I I love these people. They love me for me. I feel safe to say this now. And honestly, the vast majority of people were really cool, and were kind of like, great, all right, like, that's awesome. Good for you. Um, I think most of the kickback I got from people— was kind of what I expected, who people were, like, furious that I had, like, hurt my ex-husband and were like, how dare you? Like, and they all, which I thought was kind of hilarious, assumed that that was how I told him in that post. Wait, what? Yes, yes. Wait, I'm sorry. <laughs> which I was like, I just love the, so... the idea that everyone was like, she had this big gay dance party, posted it on the blog, and surprise! Like, I was like, no, that was years ago. <laughs> like, th- this is over. <laughs> but,
0: so sometimes on the internet, we could use our... Um... We could use our, like, thinking skills yeah. if we wanted to.
1: But that's that part <laughs> of internet culture that just wants to drag people. And, like, I don't know if this, site's ex- this site exists anymore, but there was a site called Get Off My Internets, or GOMI for short, um, which in the kind of lifestyle community was the place where everybody went to just, like, drag people down into the ground. And I had, like, pages and pages of forums devoted to, like, how I was a horrible human being. What? Because I had, like— I had announced to my my ex-husband that we were getting divorced by announcing that I was gay on my blog. And I was like, do you, like, can we think about that logic for a second? But then I also was like, why am I reading that? Like, what am oh, I doing? Oh, yeah. Um, so I stopped reading all of that sort of stuff. Um, I, like, just really accepted everyone's humanity, including my own, and that, like, I've made a lot of decisions I'm not super proud of, and I've hurt people, and that's, that's a part of being a human. So that kind of was the process of me just, I think, taking myself off of the pedestal that a lot of bloggers get put on is like, oh, you do all these things that we like and we enjoy. That must mean you're a great person. And I'm like, it doesn't always. Like, we're all real people. And so I think from that moment on of coming out and moving forward, it was very much about like decentering myself and trying to just use my platform of any sort to let other people tell their story. So I really stepped out of the way for a few years. And it's really only now that I'm kind of trying to insert my voice as one of many now versus the main one prior to that I think I
0: just don't have enough information about this like was was your was your husband a part of your public life
1: very much so yeah he like co-owned the company with me and it was a big I mean it was a part of most bloggers' narratives is, like, then I mean, narrative being the word chosen on purpose because it's, like, a story that you choose to put out there. Um, and I think everybody was, like, yep, this is my significant other. This is how we live. These sure. are our pets. It was in the lifestyle blog community, that's That's just, like, the game. That is, like, you announce who you are, you share your kids, your pets, your house, the whole deal. And so I basically went on lockdown for years after that and was like, nope, no one will know who I'm dating. Like, no one will know where I am. And I remember there were moments where, like, when I came out privately, I basically panicked and then I moved to Portland, Oregon for summer and was like, I don't feel safe to be queer in New York because everyone will know me and they don't know that I'm not married anymore. And I wanted to go to a place where I didn't think anybody would know me and I could just, like date ladies and do my thing and not be like judged or something Um, which did not go well when I went to a show at like a random place in Portland I had this girl come up to me and she was like what are you doing here and I was like oh I'm here on vacation and she was like where's your husband and I was like oh so that's not a thing anymore Um, but I'm not really ready to talk about it and she took a photo of me and she put it on the internet and was like oh like why is she at a queer show and she broke up with her husband hmm like hashtag drama and it was a whole thing and then that whole gomi community jumped on that and then there were all these rumors of like people were trying to connect me with like good friends of mine who are women and they were like ah that was it all along she was secretly having an affair with this person and I was like that could not be further from the truth but I think people like to hop on that sort of stuff and run with it because it's I don't know gossip culture I don't know that sounds I'm really sorry that that happened to you that sounds
0: extremely traumatic to have uh, other people involved in your life in that way at a time that probably was really hard
1: yeah I just want to say that like I'm sorry that sounds like that sucks it's okay I mean I had I had access to therapy which is yeah absolutely you can like work on it
0: (laughs) It doesn't mean it doesn't suck.
1: No, it's very true. And it was, you know, my coming out definitely like hurt another person, and that was that was a hard thing to process. Like that, my feelings and what I needed was just as important as somebody else's feelings. And all of my queer friends were like, "Fuck him, move on. Like you're out. Go." And I was like, "Yeah, but like, here's a real person who like didn't ask to be a part of like my out." And people were that I was friends with who are queer were so angry with me for like the first two years because I wouldn't say anything publicly because I didn't feel ready and they were like oh that's because you're ashamed like you're ashamed of yourself you know you don't look gay enough you don't act gay enough and I essentially had to just like disconnect from every community because I didn't feel safe in a queer community or not safe I didn't feel like I didn't even feel accepted I guess um and then most of my straight friends were just like what the fuck, like we don't know what to do with you now? We're very confused. um, are you going to cut off all your hair like what's happening? and then all my queer friends were like, "Cut off all your hair, get <laughs> tattoos, and I was like, "What do I do? I'm sorry, I didn't know you because I feel like that sounds like
0: <laughs> that's sound, that's bad advice. I will say that's bad advice um I think that i I think that the the truth is you know um folks are usually in the coming out process doing as much as they can handle at the moment that they can handle it and i think yes. that that is something really to try to try to keep in mind i know that for myself it was a long it was a long process and i have a lot of compassion for folks that like might even choose to never come out i mean because i think that my life is better because I am out Um, and I cannot imagine having to keep something that was that like primary uh, secret. Sounds exhausting. But I also set my whole life up so that I could be out. I chose a job where I could be like famously out. You know, I mean, I, I set my whole life up like this and there's a lot of people who don't get to do that and I feel like any member of the queer community that doesn't understand that and I mean uh, on like – I would say the same thing about like trans folks who don't – who are trying to weigh like when to disclose based on safety. You know, like there's just a lot to our community that that is in um, – like trying to come up with solutions for support and not necessarily saying like Zoom, Zoom forward to be where I am.
1: Also, where is that? Like, where? Why do we feel the need to force people to a place that doesn't actually exist? Like, you could come out as something. I mean, I I think particularly when we're talking about like gender, and my own understanding of my gender is like continues to evolve, and I feel like we keep pushing people into labels or pushing people into like, ah, secretly they were always this, and it's like no, I don't, I don't want to be a part of that. And it's made it more difficult for me to have a larger group of queer friends because in particular, I think people who identify as women and as lesbians, or at least where I was in New York, like it was super turfy. It was like very trans exclusionary. Um, it was very like, we dress this way. We listen to this thing. If you're not into that, then you're not gay enough or you're not like officially this. And I just kind of pulled out of all of that and was like, okay, well, this is who I am. Like, this is what my hair looks like. It's what my hair has looked like since I was 13. Like, I'm probably always going to look super basic. Like, if I'm not, like, cool (laughs) enough to hang out with, then that's okay. And, you know, my friend group has changed a lot, but I'm so thankful for it. Like, coming out was the most significant decision of my entire life. And it changed everything about the way I, the way I work, the way I live, um, and I'm really grateful for it, and I'm very, I'm very aware of the fact that I'm lucky to be able to come out without a ton of consequences. And so, while it was tough, I'm really thankful that I was able to do it.
0: I love that you're like without a ton of consequences. Yeah. <laughs> People were taking secret photos of me and posting them on mean sites. Mean sites, TM. Mean sites. I feel like you might have. Uh, I feel like you might have slogged through the shit. Is what I'm. Is what I'm. What I'm what I'm taking from your story your uh, relationship prior t- to that your your being in a marriage and like realizing that that might not be something that you wanted to be in I'm sure there are folks listening who have been in similar situations and like how did you how did you get yourself to a place where you knew what you wanted to do next because that feels like... Um, A difficult spot to be in.
1: I think I had to hit bottom, very literally. Um, I definitely had a moment where I didn't want to get up and live anymore. Um, I think, like, I remember, like, going to a therapist and being like, or no, I was talking to one of my good friends. I remember um, sitting on a park bench in McCarran Park in Brooklyn and talking to my friend and her being like, well, can't you just be gay and stay married? Or, like, maybe you're just bi and just stay married and then just, like, date girls on the side. I was like, it's not about it's not that simple like it's not just about like let's just add this other thing to the recipe it's like this is a giant fundamental change in who I am and I need space to process that Um, and I was talking to a friend and I remember she was like well just get over it and I looked at her and I was like I don't know if I want to wake up tomorrow like life would be a lot easier if I just didn't wake up tomorrow and she was like are you saying what I think you're saying? And I was like, I don't know. And she like called her therapist, connected me to that. And I was in her office the next day. And I've been working with that therapist ever since. Um, But that, I mean, that kind of moment of recognizing how bad it was and being like, oh, I, I do mean that. Like, it would be a lot easier if I just didn't wake up. Like, that I mean, it's hard to unhear that, and it's hard to – I remember seeing my therapist write, like, suicidal on a piece of paper and being like, this is real. Like, this is happening. You can't walk away from it. Like, you're going to – a lot of people are going to be hurt in this process, and that's okay. Like, I think I had grown up my whole life, like, as an only child feeling like I can't make anybody unhappy. Like, I have to be the person who makes everybody happy. And that's, that's a common story of so many queer people is, like, you just didn't want to upset people. And I didn't want to hurt anybody. And – and in my coming out process, I definitely hurt a lot of people. But, you know, I've, I've made my apologies and done my best to kind of stay in touch with people who I think had a difficult time understanding that change. Um, but it was just a part of the process. But I definitely like, I had to hit bottom to do it where I was like, I just don't, I don't want to keep living like this anymore.
0: And all to like, I mean, it also, I, I'm struck by your talking about, Like this fear of hurting this other person and and obviously probably also fear of knowing yourself because like that's real, you know, and huge. Um, But like there are so many reasons that marriages can end and there are so many reasons that marriages can be like uh, successful but not like lifelong. Like that you can start a business with somebody then that could be a business that you want to keep for the rest of your life and that like that time was valid and you were in that relationship and that was all valid for you.
1: Yeah, that was what I really struggled with with making queer friends in Brooklyn was, like, how many people wanted me to just devalidate anything that came before that moment. And I didn't want to do that. And I think that was messy and complicated. And I ended up making queer friends who, like, had kids from other relationships who were like, yeah, life is really fucking messy. And, like, sometimes there's a guy attached to that. Sometimes there's a child attached to that. Like, there are other things, like. Life isn't that neat and clean, and I think I just I just fell into, like, a really complicated group of lesbians that were just, like,
0: <laughs> you are – Oh, these – I hate I know, these lesbians. You know. I'm They're, so bad you know,
1: at like, these lesbians. I've, I still see some of them, and oh, everyone's cool. It's fine. <laughs> it's just, you know, I think it's really easy to, like, be like, okay, cut your hair like this, get these tattoos. What type of girl are you into? And I was like, I don't fucking know who I am. I'm definitely not going to know if it's this type of girl or that type of girl. Like, can I just – Be for a minute, and that's not convenient when everyone wants to push you into like a very defined label right away. Sure, absolutely. I mean, yeah, I think that
0: I don't know. I mean, maybe this is just like me letting myself off the guilt, off the hook for prior guilt, but I also think like life is so long and. If you're having relationships, I mean your your situation. I don't know all the details. I don't know like how hard it would feel to if somebody comes out that I like. The, like I don't know what that would be like. Uh, somebody I'm dating someone. I'm married to someone. Then they come out as straight and leave me. I don't know. I'm imagining a scenario where this could happen to me. I don't know what that would be like. <laughs> but um, I do think that you know when I look back at my relationships, I've heard, I've heard a ton of people, but a ton of like. How is it that you're supposed to get through life without hurting anybody or without having baggage? That's why I'm I'm very – feeling so stressed out about this group of people that you were friends with because <laughs> I just don't understand what anybody is expecting. They're fine. For I, something think, not, I don't mean – I just mean that concept of yeah. – that that not not that group of people but that concept of that like – that somehow you wouldn't be like good enough for figuring yourself out by a certain –
1: It's just, it's more comfortable in those labels. I get it. Like, I totally understand. And I remember, like, I was dating someone prior to coming out who was transitioning while we were dating. And then my friends were like, well, you can't date that person anymore because they're identifying as a trans guy now. So, nope, you're out. And I was like, no, like, we're dating. Like, I really, really like this person. And they were like, yeah, but, like, you're a lesbian. And I was like, I've actually never said that term. So why are you putting that term on me? Like, I very much identified with the word queer and was like, this feels comfortable for me. Like, this feels like there's room. I think, like, I wanted that roominess. <laughs> I needed there to be room to, like, figure things out. And and I ended up then kind of falling into a different community of people who I think were just completely outside of the binary in every sense of the word. And that felt so much more comfortable. Um, but it definitely was another strike against me and sort of the initial community of queer people that I fell into, but... I think I'm really glad that that happened because it taught me, like, really early on that, like, every community is not a monolith and there are going to be people within that community that, yeah, you might have something in common with on paper, but you're not actually going to be friends with them. And that's okay. Sure.
0: That's that's totally true. Yeah, that's totally true. And I – and and also, like, uh, words – you should use words if they feel good. Yeah. Like, that's kind of the takeaway, right? Like, I really love the word lesbian. I want to use that word, and yeah. also like uh, anybody else who doesn't. I don't know. I mean, it's to me, it's very strange to. Oh, I guess I have a hard time with other with people requiring something from someone else that applies to not not my life. I I require something of somebody else that require that does not apply to my life, but yes. to their life. I have a hard time with it. Could be like a very restrictive religious upbringing <laughs> where I'm just like, <laughs> no, don't. <laughs> Nobody gets to tell anybody, and everybody gets to decide for themselves. But gosh, doesn't it seem like many problems would be solved that way?
1: Yeah. it's. I mean, I get it. It's, it's destabilizing in a lot of ways to not have a very clear understanding, to be like, ah, I figured you out. You are this thing. X, Y, Z. I can now move on with my life. And I think my refusal to do that was complicated for some people I was friends with at the time. But I lucked out, and I had one friend, um, Clay, and Clay was amazing and was like, just be you like someone's gonna find you and be okay with your super basic white shorts like someone's <laughs> gonna be fine that you don't have asymmetrical hair like and and it was so I remember just like bursting into tears and I was like no like I have to look so different I had gone out to San Francisco for a dyke march and I remember like sitting in this group of, of women that were just so fucking cool and I was like I don't fit in here like I don't look like this I will never fit in here like I will never be gay enough to be a part of this community and I remember Clay just being like you shop at J Crew. who cares? Like, move on. You will find somebody who doesn't care about that. And I married someone who also shops at Crew. <laughs> <laughs> like, it worked out. Um, yeah, you y- seem
0: to be in a really, like, a positive and happy marriage right now. Right now. Yeah. Because um, yeah. you, you found that person. You found that J.Crew-wearing person.
1: <laughs> yeah, you know, we both like a button-up. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, I'm very lucky to be with Julia. I'm very happy, and I'm very aware that, like, this is for sure the first like adult relationship that I've been in where I'm like, oh I, I have a responsibility to show up and communicate like what I want. I have to listen. Um, I'm not always the best listener because I'm used to like having a platform to talk about what I want to talk about. And I have to remember, like, yeah, no one really cares about it. Don't just blog on her. <laughs> no. <laughs> Lay down, gotta blog on you. <laughs> no. No. What how did you how did you meet? She wrote me after my coming out post.
0: Oh my god. I think maybe I knew this, but now I'm
1: but now I forgot. Yeah. I, <laughs> it was it was very simple. That's incredible. We fulfilled every lesbian cliche possible. So you like, did this coming out post? Did this coming out post if not the same day, the day after, I can't remember, she wrote me and was like, oh, and Julia had been on my blog before. She had been interviewed for a different story um, because she writes amazing cookbooks and we'd done a story with her, but it wasn't me writing it. And she was like, I don't know if you're single or whatever, but like, maybe we could hang out sometime. And if not, no big deal. And I remember sitting in our office being like, I mean, I totally knew who Julia was. Um, We just didn't know each other. And I was like, yeah, this this is happening. I'm going on a date. This is going to be great. And then I went away up up to the Catskills where we actually live now um, with my family for vacation. And we exchanged like 10 billion emails in between that day and then the date a week later. And that was pretty much it. I mean, it was, it was very you, Holly. It was very like I'm two days later, she had her pots and pans in my apartment. and Pots and, and pans. And for Julia, <laughs> that is her equivalent of moving in. It was like her, you know, stock pot was in my kitchen. That sounds really dirty, but that's... No, I mean, I mean it does. Literally. Yeah, it
0: does. Her um, stockpot was in my kitchen. Yes. That's the filthiest <laughs> thing I've ever heard.
1: So, yeah, but I'm very thankful for that. And it's, I mean, we've been through a lot together um, in the last few years. And I'm just, I'm very thankful to be with somebody who like, who shows up to do the work as as much as I want to. And I think that that, that means that we communicate a lot, um, which is a bit of stereotype as well, I guess. But it's okay if, it's okay if the
0: positive stereotypes about yeah, our community are true.
1: Like we unpack a lot of shit <laughs> emotionally. But I, I'm so thankful for it. Yeah. I'm just – I'm very happy and very aware that that's a very lucky place to be.
0: You you work together on a lot of like volunteer stuff and do some cooking in the area around where you mm-hmm. live and seem to have like a real sense of uh, – I don't know. This is literally just like – you know how the internet provides you with a little bit of information about what other people want to share? Yeah. So I'm just like, oh, this is what – like this couple is like out there um, doing stuff together. It makes me feel uh, like in my relationship, like I'm not alone when I see posts of you two out there doing stuff that you do together. It seems like you care about the same stuff. Yeah. Which I we, think is something we don't always talk about in marriage.
1: Yes. we Julie and I are very different people, like very, very different people. Um, but we overlap in a lot of really nice places, um, including volunteer work that I think we've both really gotten into. And I think it's been nice because we've been forced to kind of get outside of our New York City bubble now that we don't live there anymore. We moved about two and a half hours north in like a super rural area. And every Thursday we work in this kitchen with women who are, like, in their 80s and 90s who I don't think have probably ever spent time with queer women before. And it's it's a weekly – we love them so much, but it's a weekly reminder of, like, how important it is to just be present in people's lives at different generations. And I think – they often make comments about like which one of us is the guy and, and that sort of stuff drives me nuts. But it's that experience of every Thursday morning cooking with Georgine and Diane in a church kitchen um, that we don't go to but we cook there. It's been so it's been so beautiful and I feel like that's a situation that happened because of Julia. Like I don't think I would have taken myself to that church kitchen to go cook every week. But cooking is such a huge part of her life and I joined in and I've been so happy and the conversations that we've had in that kitchen with women that are, you know, significantly older and have so much more life experience has been amazing because I understand why they would ask me that question because that's not been their life experience of two women could take care of themselves by, by themselves. So I'm, I'm just glad we do it. It's fun.
0: I mean, congrats on your, like,
1: wife-woods lifestyle. <laughs> <laughs> that would make Julia so happy. She's like, she's one step away from like the brawny woman, basically. Um, like fully, she's. I'm sure. She, I'm very sure she's at home right now, digging something or building something in the backyard, and that is where she's happiest. Um,
0: oh my god, can we come visit? Because only yes. Ria has no space to do any of this, and this would be like their dream: is to just like tinker around with nonsense. I don't even ever know what what Rhea's- ever working on. It's literally like Rhea's really into baseball right now, so there's just baseball crap all over our house. Constantly, like, bats are getting pine tar put on them. It's like at a oh. very – there's so much, um, like, this level of professionalism at, for Rhea's baseball playing. Like, I mean, I can't even tell you. <laughs> so,
1: But you, love, if, your, you l- love your person and you love their things. And oh, like, my God, I
0: love it so much. And I, and I like that I'm with somebody who's just like – into
1: projects in a way that I am not. I do not want to do those projects. Julia is so into projects and they don't always work out and that makes me love her like (laughs) 10 million times more. Like she has this great video she put online last year of she made a a wooden like doormat for our door because I saw one on the internet and I was like, that's super cool. It's like made of reclaimed pieces of wood and she was like, Give me an hour, and she disappeared into the garage and came back. And she put it down and went to open it, and she made it too tall, so the door just hits it over and over again. So now it just hangs on the garage wall as like art, and it just makes her happy. I feel like when you really love someone, you just kind of like—I just love things that make her happy. Like absolutely, just like roasting a pan of sweet potatoes makes her equally happy, and I get to eat them, so it's a win-win.
0: Yeah, yeah, yes. So before – this has been a great conversation. and I'm so glad. I know you were literally in Los Angeles for one day. So thank you for coming and being a part of the, the pod – I hate saying that – the podcast. Thank you for coming on Query the Podcast.
1: Thank you for having
0: me. Yeah. It was a pleasure. And before you take off, would you like to shout out a quero, which is somebody that made you feel safe to be the person you are today? Or it could be a place or like yeah. a thing. Do they
1: have to be like a well-known person? No. No. Okay. No, it could be like a friend. Awesome. I'm gonna shout out Clay Walsh, who I mentioned before. Um, Clay, um, I, I knew Clay through Lisa Congdon, who's a very well-known artist in our community, who's also a friend. And Clay was the person who like sat me down and was like, "Don't cut your hair. Don't get new tattoos. Like, wear your striped shirt and your white jeans. It's fine. Like, be yourself." And like, I, I mean, it's it's hard to understate like how fundamental that was in me being like, "Oh, it's okay to just be me." And I think about that moment all the time. And I'm just so thankful for Clay and just anyone who I think is a part of the queer community that who makes it makes people feel okay to be themselves.
0: Yes, absolutely. I think it was Casey Musgraves who said it best when she said,
1: follow your arrow
0: wherever it goes.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I just learned about Casey Musgraves like two weeks ago. I am so happy that my episode ended on a Casey Musgraves quote. (laughs) Can't ask for more. Thank you, Grace. Thanks for having me.